Welcome to Mountain Church. I'm grateful for all of you guys being here. Uh, as we finish up our last message on My Alter Ego, let me give a preface of the message, uh, the series that we've been going over. Everyone carries with them different sets of identities. In fact, it is rather difficult to be the same person to every person or group. These alter egos that we carry fit different areas and needs in life and the world. With many alternate versions of ourselves, the hero version of ourselves is most extraordinary. With that inner desire for greatness and desire to make a difference, we make ourselves miniature heroes to feel better about not being the superhero we would like to be. And today, we are wrapping things up with one of the most recognized superheroes, and that is Superman. He even has the name Super in his name. The word super in his name. That's how super he is. And Superman is one of the most recognized superheroes of all time. He has everything that you could want as a superhero. Super strength, x-ray vision, laser beam eyes, frost breath, super speed, the ability to fly, pretty much invincible. He seems to have it all, but there's something very particular about him. Something that makes him different from every other superhero. Superman is, in fact, Superman. It's who he is. But his disguise is Clark Kent. While every other hero puts their disguise of cape and mask to show their powers, Superman puts on the disguise of suit and glasses to hide his powers. While others put on masks to be extraordinary, Superman puts on his mask to be ordinary. He hides who he really is in order to fit into the world. You can already see how deep it's going, right? <laughs> You'd already start thinking of different ideas of what you think this message will be like. And through this message, I've had uh, different people of the Bible that we've related to these superheroes. And I've, I've actually been surprised myself of how well they relate to biblical heroes. And with Superman, there's different ideas of who I thought would be our biblical hero to relate. And I feel like I found the perfect person. Maybe you're wondering who it is. Maybe you're thinking, maybe I should have read the Bible a little bit more so I could guess who it is. The person is Moses. Moses. At first glance, you might think, huh, it's an interesting choice. But today I'm going to read y'all a, a good amount of scripture today about Moses so that we can get some preface. And the first is in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Sexism, right there in the Bible. This is in a time where all of the Hebrews, all of the Israelites, were living in the land of Egypt. Joseph uh, brought all of his family there, and now they've grown so much to where it's like a miniature country and culture within the land of Egypt. And they grew so great that Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, started freaking out. Say, hey, they're getting a little too strong for their own good. We need, to, we need to start holding them back because before we know it, they're going to take over our land. 
What's to stop them from rising up and, and taking all the land for themselves? So he made this decree to kill all of the Hebrew boys that are born. And an interesting thing happens in the Bible. And for us, looking at Superman, an interesting thing happens to him. Superman is from Krypton. And his whole world is being destroyed. All of the people that he knew were being killed. And as a last-ditch effort, his parents sent him in a rocket ship. It's, you know, when you read his story, it sounds kind of, kind of too simple, right? <laughs> they sent him in a rocket ship to save his life, and he landed on Earth. And even though he landed in a weird farm, he uh, was taken care of by two people, some farmers, and they raised him as his own. And it's very similar to what Moses went through because what, one thing that you have to do, just like Superman did one day, is recognize who you are. There's a moment in time where he grew up and he realized who he was, where he was from, and who his people were. For Moses, it was the same way. During this time where everyone was being killed, I'm going to continue to read in the book of Exodus. It says, About this time a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby. Someone say special. And kept him hidden for three months. But when she could not... Uh, no longer hide him, showing that that baby was going through a leap. Uh, those of you all who have had kids, uh, a leap is where a baby starts crying for no reason. <laughs> so that's why she could keep him hidden no longer. She got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbanks. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little baby boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby, uh, took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older... His mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Talking about finding who you are. Isn't that a very similar story to uh, Superman? The only difference was his was a makeshift basket. Superman was a rocket ship. It's so interesting that when Moses... Is it's like a, a miracle moment that the princess says, Go and find somebody to the sister. She's like, Oh, yeah, I can find someone. You want me to just use this woman? And it's his mother. 
You know, what, what, a, what a great way that God had that planned out. See, in the midst of our free will, do you understand what free will is? It means that we have a choice. We always have a choice and a decision in this world on how we live, what we do. And it's hard to understand God's sovereignty within our free will. It was humanity's free will that Pharaoh planned out this whole thing to kill all of the Hebrew boys. But God's sovereignty was able to, able to supersede this free will without contaminating free will. It almost seems like, well, that doesn't make any sense, Homer. There's no way you could explain sovereignty and free will in the same, in the, at the same time. And they can't coexist. But the truth is, free will is like gravity. It's always there. It's always going to pull us down. It's always in our hands to decide. But God's sovereignty is like a, a jet. It can supersede gravity and, and take us places where we normally wouldn't be able to go. One day, that jet has to land back down and drop you back off on free will. But God's sovereignty is always able to go against that gravity of free will. Does that make sense? And so we see here, Moses and Superman are taken out of their childhood. They don't get to have the same childhood as everybody else. And within that, that tragic thing that they're going through, they somehow find a, a, a breakthrough moment. A moment of, of, wow, good thing this happened. A fresh air. Have you ever been going through something difficult and you, you look back and said, man, if I didn't have that person there, I, I don't know how I would have done it. If you've ever broke down on the side of the road and you have no tools or maybe you don't even know how to change a tire and like, how am I going to do this? And that one person pulled up and helped you. It's like a moment for Superman and Moses in their childhood. Man, I don't know what I would have done without those farmers. I don't know what I would have done if the, if the princess of Egypt didn't have compassion on me. She could have, do you realize that she could have just said, oh, that boy survived, just drowned him in the Nile. Take out the basket. But do it over there because I don't want to hear him cry. Instead, she saw compassion on him, went against the Pharaoh's orders, which could have had her killed. She risked something for something that she believed in. I guess not all heroes wear masks, huh? (laughs) I want you to think about who you are. What defines your identity? Is it your childhood? Is it a traumatic experience that you went through? Or maybe it's right now that you feel like is defining moments of your character. And it's usually once you find yourself that you end up finding your abilities too. It says many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work during his visit. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. So Moses, around this time, uh, some history says that he was probably around 40 years old. 40 years old. And Moses lives to be pretty old. I think it's like 120 or something. He, he gets, 
he's old when he, when he finally dies. But here, he's 40 years old. So this is a quarter, uh, a third of his lifespan right here at 40 years old. And a lot of us in this room aren't 40 years old yet. Think about your life right now, however old you are. And it took him 40 years to finally find out who he was. It took him 40 years to start seeing that he had the ability to do something. You ever see our society and think, man, if only there's something to do. And there's so many times where you look at situations and you think, well, man, someone should do something. And so often people walk by tragedy and do nothing. I'm not saying that I condone Moses murdering somebody. It's probably the wrong way to go about it. But at the same time, shouldn't somebody do something? Shouldn't someone help somebody else? Think about how many people we pass on the road. Think about how many people you know personally that are going through something traumatic. And all you can think of doing is say, man, that sucks. And hopefully a millionaire helps them out. Maybe they'll win the lotto. You know, we, we find every reason to do what Moses was about to do. But instead of looking in every way to see if anyone's going to see us do it, we look in every direction to see who else is going to do it. Say, so, well, maybe somebody else will help that person out. The next person driving along will surely give them something to eat. We always want to just pass on this opportunity to help somebody, to do something. And think, well, I'm just not the person to do it. And Moses did that for 40 years. This isn't, surely this isn't the first time that he realized that the Egyptians are harsh to the Hebrews. Surely this isn't, after 40 years, this isn't the first time where it's like, oh shoot, they, they don't like being our slaves? What? This is so weird. But it took him 40 years to get up the strength, the gall, the maturity, to go out and see it for himself. To step in, to do something. And it's interesting to look at Superman, think about how long it took him to start using his powers for good. To become Superman, to put aside being ordinary, say, no, someone needs to do something. You know, I was uh, writing a poem the other day, and at, at the end of this, this journal entry I was writing, I, I wrote, it was kind of like a cry to God, I said, man, what am I going to do, this and that, I was talking to God, and at the end, I didn't really have anything else to say, but I just wrote, well, I guess I'll just keep walking, though. <laughs> you ever feel like that's all you can do? I guess I'll just keep on going. And then I put in my journal, because I want to be dramatic as I'm writing, I put dot, 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 until a tree falls on me. (laughs) And then I put dot, 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 and then I guess I'll have to just crawl forward. And I won't be able to walk, but I'll be able to crawl. But even though I'll be at a slower pace, I'd be, I would have a lot more desperation. See, it takes something traumatic sometimes to bring out a desperation within you. 
brings out something, something within you that all of a sudden you get the ability to do something great. Before you thought you could never do it, but the moment that you have to, because you're desperate, you're able to pull it off. See, I feel like that's what it was for Moses. I think it was how it was for Superman. Something so desperate that no one else would step up. No one else would do it. And they were so desperate enough to see this person justified and vindicated that they finally stepped in. Realize I can do something. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh had uh, heard what had happened. And he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. So this part of the story, Moses finally tries to use his ability to do something. I want you to think about Moses for a second. He was raised in Pharaoh's palace. He had the best education in the entire country. They, they would skill the, those people, the people raised in the palace, those kids, they would skill them in all the arts of the Egyptians. They would skill them in theology, literature. They would even skill them in government and combat. So Moses has is, is been blessed with all the possible privilege that anyone could possibly ask for. And it took that 40 years to finally do something positive with that privilege instead of just locking it away. And when he does it, he does something rash, does something emotional, but he does something. I really believe that the Israelites would have never, ever been able to be liberated from Egypt if Moses didn't kill that Egyptian that day. We could speculate and think all these different ways that Moses could have done it differently, but I think given the situation, if Moses would have let that Egyptian beat that Hebrew to death, if he would be able to stand that emotionally and see something like that and do nothing, then how would he ever possibly do something later? That's equivalent to seeing a woman being raped and doing nothing, and saying, well, next time I'll do something. If he wasn't going to do it then, he wasn't ever going to do it. And now we see that the very people that he's trying to help, I mean, think about, you ever get something going, and you're like, oh, you know what, this is a new, this is a new page. I'm about to get something new started. And the very next day, he has everyone say, oh, we know what you did. Don't try to act like you, you're someone you're not. You're a murderer. Starts calling him out. And here in Moses' head, he has it in his mind that he is, his destiny is to liberate his people. And the very people he's trying to help start attacking him. That's crazy, right? But isn't that how it goes for us all the time? 
Maybe you know a family member, maybe you yourself try to help somebody, but they didn't want your help that way. And so they reject you. They start calling you names, saying you're just being controlling. Within our own families, we reject people that try to help. And what's so interesting is how in finding his abilities, I think it's so funny that we, we try to do things under the table. Like we have what's called a conscience. Everyone has a conscience, right? I know that you do because the Bible says that it's there. Everyone has a conscience and we all have this conscience that tells us when something is right or wrong. You notice that? Even a child has it. Never have to tell a child to lie. As soon as you ask them, are you lying to me? They didn't even know before that point that lying was wrong. No one taught them. But fear immediately grips them because their conscience is a witness saying, yeah, you did lie. They're about to find you out. And that child's like, no. My imaginary friend did it, I swear. Because they don't want to deal with the consequences. And even when we do good things, just like we do bad things, there's consequences. We like to have it in our mind. Well, if I do the right thing, if I start living right, if I start following after God, then all of the world will support that. All of the world will say, hey, good job, champ. We, we want you to succeed too. Well, keep, keep going forward. We want you to find your place with God. Does that ever happen? No. In fact, the minute that you even start trying to have a real relationship with God, have you noticed that life becomes a little bit more difficult? I mean, even family members will start telling you, like, why are you doing all that? You don't need to go to church or do that extra stuff. Live your life, enjoy yourself, and then whenever you're older, that's when, you know, you can give yourself to God, like on your deathbed or something. You're doing it all wrong. When you... Maybe you got that family member who's like, oh, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian now. Get any of those? You're like, oh, no, I can't pick you up after all because uh, I have to go to work. Oh, yeah, and you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> yeah, whatever, hypocrite. Just slinging slander. Sometimes people have something to say, right? People always like to, to share comments. <laughs> Share their opinions. I think the, the worst opinions are the ones that aren't asked for, right? <laughs> but the point I'm making is that even when you're trying to do the right thing, life will not get easy for you. And you will be discouraged. And you'll run away just like Moses. Run away from everything that you're trying to do, everything that you'd gotten started. And you'll run away because you'll think, man, I, I did the wrong thing. I just needed keep low key. I need to be, stay low key. I don't need to be doing all this extra stuff. I don't need to follow after God. That didn't get me anywhere. Now I'm wanted for murder. The moment he started trying to do something right, people attacked him. So he ran away just like all of us. But you can only hide your life. You can only hide your abilities. You can only hide who you are. You can only hide your calling for so long. Moses knew deep down that he was supposed to do something. That's why he went out to the Hebrews in the first place. His, he was being beckoned. They were calling him. His heart longed to go and do that. 
It was in his purpose. And a lot of us have those kinds of callings, something that you've always wanted to do, that you just feel like you want to do. But whenever you start facing those, those difficult times, those people that don't believe in you, that's when we run away. But there's a day where you have to face what's hidden. You have to face what's hidden. In Exodus chapter 3, it says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law. He got married over there in Midian. His father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see. And the reason why this is so interesting is because it was common in those times in the desert for bushes to catch on fire. And so he's seeing this bush on fire, a normal thing, but there's something peculiar about it. See, a lot of times when it's a burning bush, we imagine that it's a single event in history that has never happened before. Sometimes God is using an ordinary thing with a little twist to speak to you. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is where we really find the the connection between Moses and Superman. This part where he covers his face because he was afraid. I mean, it, it so relates to this character, Superman. Let's, let's go back to Superman for a second. Think about who he is. Superman who disguises himself as Clark Kent. Who's Clark Kent? A dorky loser. That's what he's portrayed as. He, even... In the city that he hides in, as Clark Kent, he takes on a, a crappy job as a journalist or something. Not saying that journalists don't get paid money or anything, but in the comic books. He has this crappy job. He pretends to be a weak person, uh, pretends to be gullible, and what, what really amazes me is that he also pretends to be poor. He lives in, in a, a small, lousy apartment, even though he has the fortress of solitude. He has his own fortress, and yet he chooses to live in, in less so that he could fit in. And he covers up who he is as Superman to where even the person that he loves, Lois Lane who loves Superman, he is always around her as Clark Kent, wanting to be with her, longing to be with her, and yet disguises himself to pretend to be someone he's not. He could have so much, 
but he wants to fit in with everybody else. He, he desires to be normal and go through just everyday human society things. And here, Moses experiences something extraordinary. The God of the universe speaking to him, and he covers his face. He puts on the mask. He says, oh no, you don't want anything to do with me. And the Lord replied, I will personally... Oh no, I'm skipping ahead, sorry. I got more to say. What, what interesting is that in this point in time where God is calling Moses, and he, says, I, he tells Moses, I surely have called you to deliver your people of Israel. Your people, what you thought you were supposed to be doing at the beginning, but you doubted, is really what you were supposed to be doing all along. Even though everybody else doubted you, and it made you doubt yourself, I still called you to do it. And I'm sending you back, even though you you don't want to have anything to do with that anymore, and it's scary to go back to the things that you try to hide away, you're going to have to face them anyway, because I called you to do what you're supposed to do. And Moses replies to God saying, you do not want to use me. Surely there's somebody else. I can't even talk that good. I'm not even that smart, God. I'm telling you, you really don't want to use me. And there's this kind of a debate whether or not Moses really had a stuttering problem. He says, God, I can't speak to the people or lead them. Who am I to be their leader? I, I can't even talk right. I stutter. And there's some people that say Moses lied to God saying, because he was trained in the most educated place. He was, he was in the palace. He was more than smart. He was educated and trained. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how he was so esteemed and so skilled. And so it's alluded that he was just lying to God. And some people like to believe the other part that God will use even a stuttering person to speak to people. I believe that Moses might have had a slight stuttering problem, but nothing to, to, that would disqualify him. But we do the same thing. We use little inequities of ourselves that we know. And we say, oh, well, this is why I can't do it. Well, I, I barely could give to that person because I barely have enough in my account. I'm still, I'm still on a budget. That's why I can't help somebody else. Well, I can't lead because I'm still trying to figure out my walk with God. I, I, I can't show up and do this or d- do that. I can't go to a school and help mentor because, you know, I still feel like I'm figuring out who I am. I, we have all these little things that give us reasons of why we can't do greater things. You want to open your own business or start your own business, but you think, well, I never went to college to business school, so I can't do it. You want to, you want to do more with God. You want to experience great, real glorious things, but you think, well, I still have these struggles and these issues that I'm trying to break in my life. And that's why I can't. Maybe it's like you want to just go to church every Sunday, but you think, well, I've been hurt by church in the past and it's, I just want to go up when I feel comfortable. I don't want to get too comfortable because I don't want to get hurt again. You know, we, we have so many opportunities to have great experiences, great success, but we disqualify ourselves because of little things in the past. And we, guys, come on, we make little things big things, right? Mm-hmm. We all have a conscience, right? We remember that. Just talked about that. 
Have you ever said something out loud knowing that it was exaggerated? Maybe someone's saying, I'll give a personal example, okay? With me and my wife. Whoa, calm down. <laughs> and I'm not saying that this is today, honey. But say, there's a moment where I'm about to do something. I have it in my mind. I'm going to go do this or that. I'm going to go work out. <laughs> and right when I'm about to get ready to do that, my wife says, can you take care of our daughter? Hold her. Take care of her so I can take a nap. Even though I've known in my heart. Again, this wasn't this morning, baby. I've known in my heart. I know at that moment I could take this little girl and sacrifice of myself for something greater. My wife to take a nap because she's also pregnant. And yet there's that exaggerated excuse that comes out. Well, shoot, I was about to work on some stuff right now. And it's, it's pending. I need to do this right now. And even though I know in my heart, I don't really have to do it right now. It can wait. The exaggerated excuse bends a little truth and makes it way more than it's supposed to be. It makes a, a hill a mountain. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And the point I'm getting is that we do this with God all the time. Think about the last time you had the unction to read the Bible. What exaggerated excuse came out? Oh, well, I, I'm just so tired right now. And I know that like, I need to have rest. I just have to have rest right now. And so I know that God understands that because he made the Sabbath. And that's the day of rest. Maybe it's like just going to church. Hey, I'm, I'm one. I, going to church every Sunday, it can be tough, right? I know that. I probably wouldn't go to church every Sunday if I wasn't the one preaching. But even with that, isn't there some mornings where you start thinking like, well, shoot, I could get a lot of stuff done around the house today. I just, oh, man, I do have a lot to do. Maybe it would be best for me to stay in. And if you've ever succumbed to those exaggerated excuses, and by the end of it, the time that church would be, be done, you think, oh, shoot, I didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> I just got caught up scrolling on the toilet. <laughs> Why did I start that Netflix show? I didn't do anything this morning. <laughs> I wasted the day. Well, shoot, next time. Those exaggerated excuses don't get us anything greater in life. It keeps us in ordinary. And for Moses, even though he tries to convince God that this exaggerated excuse is real and legitimate, did you know that God just continues to tell him, like, yeah, you're going to go anyway. <laughs> yeah, sure, just to, to help the, the pity party you want to throw, I'll send your brother to help you too. But like I said, you can do this. And... Moses is such an influential person of our faith. And the Bible says that he is one of the most humble men that have ever walked the earth. 
Moses wrote that himself, but still. And yet, even though he has access to extraordinary, let me finish up with this. Exodus chapter 33. This is after Moses was able to fulfill his calling and lead the people out of Egypt. And this is when he goes up to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. That's dope. God personally telling you that, it's like, that's what I've been waiting to hear. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from the other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. This is one of the most amazing interactions between Moses and God. And and Moses is saying, God, I don't want to go anywhere without you. I, I want you in my life. And I feel like a lot of us have moments like that where we say, God, that's, you're all I want right now. <laughs> we have those right now moments. But Moses is being real serious about it. He's saying, God, just show me who you are. You ever ask God to just show you something? God, just show me a sign. God, just show me that you're with me on this. I'm, I'm intimidated and I'm scared. Just show me that, that you got my back. Don't we, isn't that all we want? God to show us that he has our back. And God says, I, I do. I really do. In fact, I know you by name. I think about you in the morning. You're the person I think of when I get up. I'm personifying, of course. God doesn't, I don't think God sleeps. He's eternal. But Moses says, then show me a sign. Show me your presence. And something extraordinary, extraordinary happens and God shows himself to Moses. And it's so powerful and so glorious that it leaves a mark on Moses' face. It says in the next chapter, when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. That was verses 29 and 35. It said that when he came down from the mountain, the Ten Commandments, he's all excited like, man, like I feel so refreshed. You ever feel like that? Man, this church was great today. I feel so refreshed. It was just what I needed to hear. <sighs> Load off my shoulders. And it said that everybody was looking at him. Strange. Like, what is on your face? Maybe it's joy. I don't know. <laughs> Happiness. What is wrong with that person? He's feeling all good. And his community, the people he surrounded himself with, made him feel uncomfortable made him feel uncomfortable and even weird for being different than them. And it shows us that 
what he does next is that he puts a veil over his face. He covers the glory of God that touched his face. The thing that he very asked for. How, he said, how will people know that you look favorably on me? And God gives him an obvious sign. He said, well, they'll see it in your face. And the very thing he asked for is the very thing he hides. The very thing he wanted is the very thing he covers up. And comparing him to Superman, covering up these amazing abilities, covering up this glorious experience with God just to fit in to the world, to society, to your community. And what I'm getting at is that each of us, we cover up God in our lives in one way or another. And community is so powerful that it will either lift you up or bring you down. And the community that you choose to surround yourself with will either celebrate the great things God is doing in your life or they'll just talk about it in a negative way. Either celebrate you or tolerate you. And I want you to think about your community. People you surround yourself with. Like I said, we all have a conscience. Your conscience will tell you. Do you really feel like the people you surround yourself with help elevate the power of God in your life or do they make you feel like you have to hide it? Do they elevate God doing a work in you, celebrate it? Or do they make you feel like you have to hide it? Can I share a quick story just to close us off? And it's not a story where I got superpowers for a season. Is when I had just given my life to Christ, I went to go and visit the friends that I would usually go and visit. Only before I gave my life to Christ, we had kind of a tradition of buying a QP, which is a quarter bound of marijuana. And we spend the whole weekend to do drugs and celebrate each other, lift each other up. But this time, I'd given my life to Christ, and I realized that I wanted to trust God with my peace rather than a substance. And I went to visit that same community I surrounded myself with. Only this time, it felt extraordinarily different. In fact, I felt very uh, weird being the only one that wasn't drinking, the only one that wasn't doing drugs. And even though at first glance, you're like, no, it's okay, it's okay. The more a couple of drinks back, it was like, man, you're really not going to drink. You're really not going to do this. And I'm not in no way saying that uh, drinking is a sin or anything like that. But for me, it was because I really felt like I shouldn't do it anymore. And they began to try to pressure and persuade me to do something that I didn't want to do. Something that for me was lowering myself 
because it was doing something that I really believed I shouldn't be doing. And it got all the way to the point where being just a bunch of young guys, right? They were trying to hold me down and force me to sm- smoke and drink. Well, at f- the beginning is like, no, man, you could just, we just care about you. We just want you, man. That's all that matters. You don't have to do all this stuff. By the end of it, literally holding me down and trying to make me fit in by doing what they're doing. Every group of friends is different. Every community is different. But every community will either build you up or bring you down. And community is so powerful that it will, it it could make a superhuman, superman, feel like they have to cover up and hide who they are to be like everybody else. And if your community makes you feel like that, then I'm begging you, find a different community. Because it will only lead you to hide the great things of who you are. And those great things should not be hidden behind a mask. If you put aside your fear and trust God, you will experience greater than ordinary. But you're going to have to stop hiding what he's doing in your life. I want everyone here to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here and you're ready to take off the disguise, you're ready to show yourself out church and out of church, inside of church and outside of church, what God is doing in your life. If you're ready to make that first step in surrendering your heart, your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. I see your hand. If you've already given your life to Christ before, I want you to pray this prayer as a reaffirmation of your faith. And if you rose your hand, this prayer is for you. And the reason that we pray like this is because the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then surely you shall be saved. So pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I take off my disguise. I'm here before you, transparent, and I want to trust in you. I want to live my life for you. I believe that you're the son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead. Be the Lord of my life and the savior to my soul. In Jesus' mighty name.